Hey there, thank you for listening to How to Live the Podcast, where we have real, meaningful and fun conversations with people who inspire us, and sometimes we just have them with each other. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Dadon, and we are on a little bit of a podcast break at the moment, but we will be back in your ears from March 2021 with new episodes weekly. But in the meantime, we're actually pulling out some of our favorite episodes from the archive to play you every fortnight. Today's episode is one of our all-time faves with yoga teacher and body positivity advocate, Jessamine Stanley. This is such an inspiring and uplifting listen. We just couldn't help ourselves but play it one more time. Whether it's the first time you're listening or you're hearing it again, we just know you are going to love it. Enjoy, Jessamine. It's actually super surreal to be chatting to you. So I am also a yoga teacher and have a deep love affair with yoga. So I have kind of like been watching Instagram yoga and how it's like all very perfect pose, perfect alignment, perfect backdrop, all that stuff. (laughs) And then finding you, your feet is the antithesis of that. You embrace the messy, you know, ripped underwear, like the realness. And so that's why we were so excited to chat to you because that's what we love. Like we love the dirty, the real, the authentic, and that's what you are. It's very interesting. Social media, not just with yoga, but it tends to house our attempts at achieving success societal perfection. It's like a hall of that. It's like whatever you think somebody else might covet or enjoy or something like that. So the whole logic behind the way that we portray the practice on social is already just like fucked, honestly. But I think that there's such a thirst now for authenticity. And I feel like everyone has period panties and like and <laughs> falls over when they're working on their inversions and like has contradictory political opinions and there's just so many parts of practicing that I think we don't even usually get into but it shows up for everyone though just so you know not a yogi at all over here so I don't know any of this stuff so I'm gonna keep <laughs> it real basic for all the non-yogis out here what are we talking about ripped underwear <laughs> I'm like, like, you're like, back up. Do you rip your underwear regularly in yoga? Is that a thing? I haven't ripped my underwear in yoga. I have ripped underwear that sometimes I might wear to yoga, which Jessamine was actually practicing in. Got it. Yeah, the situation that we're talking about with me wearing ripped underwear was I didn't know that I was going to be in my underwear when I went to be photographed on that occasion. And the fact that I was even in my underwear was a surprise to me. But that said, (laughs) I was wearing this ripped underwear and then I was doing yoga. And so now there's photos of it. And it's like I do yoga in my underwear in public, ripped underwear. No, I wear leggings just like everyone else. (laughs) And typically, (laughs) like, this is not really a thing outside of the house. But at home, I truly believe in the power of a home yoga practice. I think that more so than any class that you can go to, the experience of communing fully with yourself without the distraction of other human beings. I think is so crucial, in addition to the fact that it can transcend location or teacher availability. It goes with you no matter how your life is going. And I think that in a home practice, you often end up practicing
practicing, like, sometimes in the outfits that you didn't plan so much. Sometimes you're practicing out of desperation right before bed or, like, first thing out of bed or even in the middle of the day and you end up not wearing much more than the skin on your back. Yeah, sometimes when I'm practicing at home in down dog and I, like, realize I'm not wearing a bra and I just feel my boobs like falling (laughs) underneath me like little cones and I'm like oh okay so that's happening (laughs) oh my god I so prefer that feeling too because I feel like I don't enjoy being constricted by clothing when I'm practicing I do think that there's something to being able to engage really physically with yourself and especially as a fat body practitioner and living in an age where fat body people are often taught that like we're are not supposed to like our bodies or touch our bodies or do anything, it becomes an act of therapy to physically handle my flesh and like get in there. And it's hard to do that when you're wearing a full outfit. So all the arguments in favor of underwear, ripped or not, all underwear. <laughs> I love what you said as well about there's something in like just having that practice on your own. Cause like for me, not even with yoga, like that's just so something that I relate to is feeling okay with yourself in general and not having to go and be around people. So on that level, I really relate to that. And we want to get into all of the yoga talk and all of the incredible things that you've been doing. But we did want to start with just taking you back a little bit and asking you, did you grow up with strong female role models in your life? I did. I grew up in a very matriarchal family. Like my mother, my aunts, my grandmothers. I mean, I was really raised in like a cocoon of femininity. And that's not to say that like there weren't other people in my life who were also strong role models. But my aunts in particular and my maternal grandmother really deeply impact every part of who I am. And it's because I saw them from the beginning, like, They didn't take shit. They were always standing up for their families. They were not taking care of themselves. That is an important distinction. I think that they definitely prioritized others over themselves to a fault in almost every case. But they really showed me that even though society can make you feel like you're not worthwhile, that your power is kind of undeniable at the end of the day. Mm, That's so amazing. Yeah, I think like growing up, I know I definitely like underestimated the power of having those female role models in my life. And now that I'm like an adult in quotation marks, I definitely look back and feel the same way that like having females to look up to in that way really does like shape your future and how you're able to see the world. Totally. And I mean, I think that that doesn't stop the patriarchy from creeping in. And like, I still have dealt with every kind of like, low self-worth, like not believing that I can do anything like just as much. I mean, the power of the media and outside community cannot be denied. But that can't ignore the fact that like, there were very strong female role models in my life and not just biological people as well. Like definitely just a lot of women who they weren't aiming for fanfare ever. They're just like trying to show up to be supportive of the people that they love at the end of the day. Like what's the reason to work really hard? What's the reason to set a good example for your children? You're just trying to support the people that you care about. And I definitely had a lot of really good examples of that. That's awesome. And you mentioned there that like 
you couldn't help but have the messages that we all get from the media and everything creeping in. When you were growing up, how did you feel about the way that you looked? I was very uncomfortable with how I looked pretty much up until my mid-20s, I would say. Like, I've actually heard that it's worse in Australia, (laughs) body negativity and the lack of representation. It is, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm sure that y'all are familiar with the fact that, like, there's not a lot of diversity (laughs) in the media. And I grew up idolizing bodies that looked absolutely nothing like mine. And so as a result, I had the self-image that goes along with when you believe that you're fundamentally bad or like when you believe that you're fundamentally wrong. I always felt like there were things that I had to do that would make me better once I'd done them. I needed to have longer hair. Ideally needed to be taller, but that could be achieved by wearing heels. So working on being just generally taller, not too tall, but you know, generally yeah, taller. Yeah, don't be too tall. Yeah, exactly. Be There's a line. You are. There's yeah. a line with the height. You know. Be skinny, but not too skinny. Exactly. You can't be too skinny yeah, because yeah. then everyone thinks that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's all of these different things, and it goes on every side of the spectrum. Like, I don't feel like my body image issues are unique in any way, shape, or form. Like, I think they are so run-of-the-mill. And it seems to me that, like, Every human being has something that they're concerned about. I always tell the story of when I taught in London. First of all, it was this, like, hot studio full of people. The front row of people, there's this guy, and he's just, like, a really typical white guy. Honestly, I don't know how to describe him. He's, like, you know, cute, hot, I guess. I don't know. After the class, he comes up to me and he's like, oh, my God, thank you so much. I've just been feeling really down on myself and this was a really empowering experience. And I was just looking at him and I was like, dude, you've got body image problems? Like, what the fuck? (laughs) You look like someone I would see in a magazine. Like, what the hell? (laughs) And it really just points to this thing that, like, we're all being told that we have to fit into some kind of box. And when we see ourselves not fitting into the box, then we're judgmental of ourselves. And I was just as guilty of that as anyone else. And I think it even goes one step further in that no one actually feels like they fit in the box. So just like Mm. when you saw this guy who is so beautiful, who Mm -hmm. from an outside perspective we would perceive is the box, even he is like, mate, I'm just out here trying to make it work. I'm trying to look (laughs) like I'm the box I'm trying to present like I'm the box but I don't feel like I am exactly as humans maybe that's something that connects all of us is that we're all just like out here feeling like we don't belong in one way shape or form that is exactly right I mean I think that that is what unites all of us is that we are all unique and everyone has had something happen to them that you would never guess like something that is just so off the charts and also totally emblematic of who they are as a human being and all of those things are necessary and the thing that connects us is that everyone's got it you can bet your bottom dollar every single being and if that's the starting ground for all interactions it's like that person is probably going to hate themselves at some point or already has. You're good. You can have a conversation with anyone about anything. You don't have to agree. They can have wildly different opinions than you. You can live in different ways, but that doesn't mean that you can't find common ground. Yeah, it's almost like we need a new kind of model of the box that rather than being cookie cutter is like 
everybody is unique. Right. Yeah, uniqueness is the box. Yeah. Right. You don't want to be in it. You actually want to be out of it. Yeah, exactly. Age. <laughs> Looking at your yoga and how that kind of started to come into your life, what was your first experience like with yoga? So the first time I ever practiced yoga, it was the summer I turned 16. My aunt was really into Bikram yoga at the time. And Bikram definitely has a tendency to get, like, kind of evangelical practitioners. <laughs> Have y'all practiced Bikram? Are y'all familiar with the sun? No. So for people listening, it's 42 degrees in Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. But so that's just always scared me. So I'm like, no, nah, <laughs> that's not for me. For sure. <laughs> I mean, legit, like there are certain situations where I'm like, this is not an endorsement. <laughs> so <laughs> what I will say is that it is a style of hot yoga that was particularly popular legit like 15 years ago. My aunt, she's like, oh, my God, you're going to love it. It's going to change your whole life. It's amazing. And <laughs> I was just like, I don't have anything better to do. I was visiting her. So I was like, I'll go to this hot yoga class with you. And it was so dreadful. Everything about it was just terrible. Like, it was so hot. Immediately, you're just sweating from parts of your body. Some parts that I didn't even know you could sweat from. <laughs> like, sweating in my eyebrows and, like, the tops of my fingers and my <laughs> toe hair. And this is before <laughs> anything has actually happen. This is just walking into the room. Absolutely. And like, I was just overwhelmed by how difficult all of the postures were. Like, I didn't understand how everyone seemed to be able to move so seamlessly through them. It was very demoralizing. I left like a third of the way through the class and I was like, I'm never doing this again. I'm so good on this. And it wasn't until I was in graduate school several years later, one of my friends was like, oh my God, you should try Bikram yoga. She had drank the Kool-Aid she was obsessed with it too and I was like I'm not trying that I've already done it before I know it's not for me and she was just like no you gotta try it and I was in a really different point in my life like I'm prone to anxiety and depression and so I was just I was in one of those wells and she really just got me caught up on a Groupon deal so it was like I can buy this pass and maybe I'll only go once and that's fine. But I ended up falling in love with it, not because it felt really accessible or anything. Like all of the postures still were extremely difficult for me. At that point, I was practicing Bikram yoga really regularly and it was something that like the heat still was really intense for me. I was frequently the only black person, frequently the only fat person. It was a very alienating experience, but it really gave me the space to see how I was not challenging myself in my day-to-day -day life and that a lot of my depression and anxiety was coming from all of these boundaries and walls that I've created inside of myself so that in order to even practice yoga, in order to practice the postures, I had to break down barriers inside myself and it began this new way of seeing my life and seeing that I didn't have to live within any of the walls that I created for myself. And at that time, I was just really unhappy in my graduate program and really just feeling like I needed a change. And so practicing yoga really gave me the confidence to leave graduate school and to move to Durham, where I live now. And when I moved to Durham, I didn't have any money or a job or a plan or anything like that. And I definitely could not afford to practice yoga in studios. And so I stopped practicing yoga for a short period of time when I first moved to Durham. And I found myself during that time sliding back into the place of depression that I'd been in before I started practicing. And I was just like, 
what was making me feel good before yoga? Okay, I just got to find a way to start doing this right now. And so I didn't have much. By that point, my partner and I had moved into this like really tiny apartment, but I did have my dad's old Pilates mat and I just would push all the furniture out of this one corner of the apartment and roll out my yoga mat and just practice like eight to 10 of the postures from the Bikram sequence that felt comfortable to me that felt accessible and that practice just became my medicine I still think of it very much as my medicine it's just me setting myself in the present so that I can show up for everyone in my life that I love and also so that I can accept the ups and downs of life that there's always going to be waves there's always going to be changes and while I definitely didn't understand it on that level when I first started practicing I think that when I first started practicing it was a little bit more about the physical practice of the postures I think that can become a little bit of a sticking point in practice we get so excited over like look what I can do and look what I can do the it can be hard to get beyond that, but as time has gone on and as my practice has deepened, it's really just become the way that I'm able to stay in the moment. So much of what you say there really resonates with me and it's funny because I think maybe when people haven't quite experienced that, I imagine my friend saying like, oh, are you a Pilates person or are you a yoga person? As if totally. it's like one in the same and... For me, like I'm the exact same, like, yeah, I actually came to it for someone had recommended for my back issues. But at the time I was like in a really dark place and I had this super kind of negative relationship with my body that showing up on the mat, like whether it was like once a week, twice a week, whatever, and kind of slowly forming this more kind of positive relationship with my body and just like getting that to be something about not how it looked, but rather what it could do for me was this complete mm. like shift in mentality that then slowly started to trickle out into the rest of my life. Mm-hmm, exactly. And when I talk to people about it, I'm just like, I want you to experience it. And it's just like this fucking gift that I'm like, <laughs> can people just take it and run? You know, it's magic when you really feel that. Right. I feel like I am that outsider and like Pilates versus yoga. I do Pilates for my body. And totally. I've recently started to do other things that are probably from the school of yoga, like breath work that have been really mm. positive for me. And I feel like I've started to get an idea of what you guys mean, but it is really hard to relate. Like when you talk about mm. that your practice centers you within yourself, I still don't fully understand because for me, I've dabbled in yoga over the years and I've done like, you know, some classes and it never got beyond the physical for me. Yeah. When I first started practicing, all of this was just like gibberish to me. I'd be like, intercom, what are you talking about? Like, this doesn't even make sense to me. And it was because like, we live in a world that really degrades the esoteric and we're led to believe that like spirituality is not important and that we should be looking for all the answers outside of ourselves so that this just conceptually jives against that core belief. And it's like, what are we even talking about? And it's also that everything should be solved in our mind. We should be able to intellectualize everything. Exactly. And the thing is, it literally just can't be. And I do think that everything 
just comes when you're ready for it. So to the first point, I'm not really pressed about whether or not everyone practices yoga. I do think that if every human being practiced yoga, this would be a different world. We would live in a different world because people would lead with compassion before they lead with fear. Right now, we live in a fear-based world. There is a part of me that's like, if we could just get this message to everyone. But at the same time, like, I think that everything comes when you're ready for it and that it's important for the good and the bad of life and the light and the dark to be there. And everyone in that instance can't practice yoga if everything is going to happen that needs to happen. So anyway, I can walk all the way down this philosophical rabbit hole that ends with sort of a shrug. But I think that ultimately practicing yoga is just breathing. At the end of the day, it's just breathing. Every posture is just a way to try to breathe through that posture and to let the breath teach you things. So that I think that as long as you come to breathing, look, we kind of poo-poo breathing. And when I first started practicing yoga and teachers would, like, focus on breathing, I'd be like, man, bitch, when are we going to get to the interesting part? Because (laughs) I came here to do yoga, and this part is boring. So, like, I don't want to do this. (laughs) But now (laughs) I've come to understand that if you can really breathe, then you can breathe through the most difficult postures. And in order to practice those difficult postures, you have to practice breathing. And I think that Ultimately, what we practice as yoga postures is really just variations on different European calisthenics, which is really all that Pilates is ultimately. So it's like, to me, uniting breath with the movements of Pilates is yoga. (laughs) Like, I think there's a reason that they're frequently related to one another. But I think that drawing that connection is what the yoga actually is. So I can see how, like... Maybe that can get lost in the shuffle. But I'm like, as long as people get to breathing and breathing through a panic and breathing before an argument with someone else and, like, breathing before you pick up a gun, then I'm cool with whatever. Like, you don't have to go to a yoga studio or do anything else. Just learn to breathe. I saw on your Insta the other day you were saying someone could come in and spend your entire class in corpse pose and you wouldn't care. And I was like... Well, what do you mean by that? But I guess you've just explained exactly what you mean by that, that it's not about the poses. I firmly believe that corpse pose is one of the most difficult postures in yoga. By the way, I had to clarify with Jess what corpse pose is. Corpse pose is basically laying down on the ground. (laughs) Like it's (laughs) laying prone, arms spread. It's just being still, trying to give up your weight to the earth. And that is so difficult for so many of us to do because we feel compelled to be in control of everything all the time. And the idea of silence is in anxiety producing because, well, if it's silent, I'm going to be able to hear all the thoughts that are happening in my head that I'm trying to run from all the time. That's exactly right. You will Mm. finally no longer be able to run from what is difficult for you. And that is so much harder than any inversion. It's so much harder than the most difficult yoga posture. And I think that the fact that whenever people come to class, people come in and they're just like, I'm about to do it. Yoga. Yes. And then (laughs) it gets like halfway through the class and then they're like, okay. I'm dying a little bit. This is not okay. And I'm like, dude, just die then. Just fall apart. You're good. Like, you don't need to hold yourself up anymore. Like, you don't have to wear your armor. You don't have to put your mask on. You don't have to do any of that anymore. 
You can just fully fall apart. And then sometimes that means that they need to spend the class in corpse pose. They need to spend the class crying in child's pose, which is on the knees, hips, back, legs spread or not. Because there are so few places in our world where we can all be vulnerable and so few people with whom we can be vulnerable. And I think that the gift that we can give others is by allowing ourselves to just steep in that vulnerability so that we can be more accepting and more present and more compassionate. Even looking at my own practice, actually dislocated my knee like three and a half months ago. My goodness. Yeah, in yoga, it wasn't fun. (laughs) And when that happened, I was really upset for a while and I was feeling so disconnected from what I love, which is yoga, until I actually realized that I could do it even though I wasn't able to do the postures. And then I honestly reckon in the last three and a half months, I've done more yoga than I have in such a long time Mm. in the way that you're talking about coming back to breath, coming back to your body. I wasn't like flying with my legs in the air, but that doesn't mean that I can't like just find the space within myself. And that the injury happened for a reason to teach a lesson. That <laughs> There are things that were meant to happen because of that. Not that long after I started practicing at home, I'd been practicing like vinyasa style and I was really getting into a lot of things that are very shoulder heavy. And I fell down a flight of stairs the same day that I had a baking exam. Lesser known fact about me, I went to culinary school, and so I had a baking exam that day. I fell down a flight of stairs, fucked my shoulder all the way up. Like, I could not move my arm at all. So I was like this in a sling for a good few weeks. And during that time, I learned more about the shoulder girdle. I've learned a lot about my own patience with myself. I've learned about the way that I shame myself for not being able to do what I think I'm capable of doing. And that to me, first of all, it's so much bigger than any kind of posture. And it's the kind of stuff that leads to like having a deeper connection in other parts of my life. And that's what yoga actually is. (laughs) It's that kind of work. So that's why I'm always like, The postures are just a vehicle to get you to something bigger. And the only posture some of us need to get us somewhere else is corpse pose. And I love what you said there before about how there are very few places we can all just like feel safe being vulnerable. And that is what leads to being compassionate. And it's scary sometimes. Like when I felt like I was in a much darker place mentally that I am now, the idea of being vulnerable Mm -hmm. was so scary, of being alone with my own thoughts. Oh, the number one most scary thing. But the scariest part is just getting over that first little hurdle. And honestly, it was worse not to be dealing with it. Like I was miserable every day versus once you can like summon that bravery just for a moment to move past it. Once you're on the other side and you're being vulnerable and open, it's never as bad as you thought it was. And it's way better than how you were before. It's actually way better. It's way better than you thought it was. Oh, my gosh. That's the thing about, like, ripping the Band-Aid off is that once you let the wound breathe, you are so much stronger. And you're stronger because you went through it. Mm -hmm. But that process of going through it is painful. And I think that we're kind of conditioned to believe that pain is bad and that the only thing that we're supposed to have are things that feel good. And that's just not the case. Life is meant to be ugly and sad and also beautiful. And sometimes the ugly things are beautiful and the sadness is beautiful. And there's good things 
things and there's happy things. Everything has to happen. And I think that once we can start to accept that when you're pushed through something, we can start to experience it as a necessary test of our identity and teaching us about ourselves. It's a teacher. In terms of like learning to embrace yourself, I think that that's such a journey for basically everyone, as we talked about earlier. Right. So what did that journey look like for you? How did you actually come to start to embrace and really start to love your body? I think that body shaming is one of the first things that I learned how to do. And so in the way of any good addict, I've been addicted to this behavior and I'm addicted forever. This is who I am. I'm addicted to hating myself. And it's something that I work on and I work my process and I try to see and figure out and some days are better than others and there's huge ups and huge downs, but it's just a path that I'm on. So I don't really feel like I've gotten to this stopping point of like, I love my body all the time. But I think I've finally gotten to a place of understanding that I don't have to love my body every day. And that ultimately, regardless of whether or not I love it every day, it's still here for me. And it's the most important thing that I own. And for me, it's been less about finding love for it and more about reclaiming ownership of it. Because I think that for a lot of my life, I felt like my body is owned by society. It's owned by my family. It's owned by the people who may want to be in relationships with me. Like, it's not my own thing. And that I take care of my body in relationship to how other people feel about it. And that process of reclaiming ownership of my body and really trying to step into a space of liberation is something that really began when I was in undergrad. So, like, I knew about fat positivity and fat acceptance and body politics more generally because of LiveJournal and Tumblr and the fat fashionista community, which the plus size fashion world digitally has exploded in the last few years. I'm talking really about like 10 or more years ago. It was something that was really just like a very niche community. And that journey really started outside of yoga as well. So it both preceded and is separate from my yoga practice. But when I started taking photos of my yoga practice for social media, that in and of itself was a huge mental trick for me because I had been avoiding mirrors and cameras for years. Like there are whole years of my life where I don't have that many photos of myself because I was avoiding being photographed. Like never get caught in a mirror, certainly not at a quote bad angle, you know. And to take photos of my practice meant that I would have to look at my body full on in a way that I really never had. And it terrified me just conceptually. And I was so anal in the beginning, like, I would only have the camera at certain angles, like, tilted in this way or the other, and, like, I would only do postures that had me from certain angles. And then after a while, I was like, why am I doing that? And I was like, well, because you think that your body doesn't look good head on. And so that, as a concept, was like a watershed in my body reclamation liberation journey, because 
I fundamentally believed that I couldn't look at my body just straight on. But then even when I started doing that, I noticed the way that I spoke about my body. In the moment of taking the photo, I'd be like in the yoga pose and let's say it's side plank. So I'm in side plank and I'm like, oh my God, I feel amazing. Like I'm lifted up, zen, calm, everything. Yoga is amazing. And then I would go back and look at the photo and I would just immediately start talking shit about myself. I'd be like, oh my God, my stomach, oh my arms, oh my chins, like whatever. And it took me a long time to really note this as a trend. But I was like, no one else is in here saying these things. The media is not in here whispering in my ear. You know, like my friends and family are not in here saying these things. This is me. I am my own worst enemy. And that has started me down this path of really getting into how do I look versus how do I feel. I talked about this a lot more in my first book, Everybody Yoga, but I really think that understanding that how I feel is more important than how I look has been crucial for me in my reclamation liberation journey. And so what I would say about yoga plus this journey is that I don't know that yoga and body politics really go together that much, largely because there's just so many body negative yoga people that I think yoga is bigger than this. But I do think that for me, it provided a very necessary gateway to understand the other parts of that journey for me. Mm. And I think it's also really amazing that you were able to find that in a space that often feels really exclusive and elitist. And I think that that also would surprise a lot of people, you know, like that barrier to entry. Yoga feels very perfect and very white and very Lululemon. And you were still able to find that and really push the boundaries and create a space for yourself where you are able to find all the positives and get rid of all the negative. And through that as well, like not only were you creating that for yourself, you were creating it for so many other people as well. Right. I mean, I think that really proves to the power of the truth of yoga, that it can be transmitted even through all of that in a ways, like that there's all of these ideas being put on yoga that like that it's only for certain kinds of people that you have to have this certain kind of outfit or this kind of mat or do these types of things that even through that ideology this truth of compassion of light of looking within the self that that still transcended the packaging I think just really speaks to yoga more than anything and you know I really didn't set out to like inspire anyone like I never set out for anyone to aspire to what I do or how I am. And so I don't really feel a lot of connection to other people and the decisions that they've made about practicing yoga or doing other things in their life based on me. I think it'd be ridiculous for me to say that I haven't noticed what you're talking about, but I do think that in practicing yoga and finding my yoga practice, it's like I found an instrument inside of myself. Like I literally cut my body open. I'm digging around. It's very walking dead. I'm pulling the flesh back and inside I find an instrument. I pull out the instrument and I'm cleaning all the guts off the instrument and I clean out the interior of it and I start playing it. And somebody walks by and they're like, where'd you get that instrument from? And I'm like, bitch, I found it inside myself. (laughs) And they're like, word? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, do you think I have an instrument inside of myself? And I'm like, I mean, probably. And then they're like, okay, I'm going to look. So then they 
cut themselves open and they dig around and they find an instrument. Totally different instrument. Neither of us know how to play, but they clean theirs off and they start playing with me. And they're not playing the same song and we don't know what we're doing, but we're just playing together. And over time, more people see us and they come over and they start finding their instruments. And before you know it, it's an orchestra full of people playing these instruments and learning how to see and feel within themselves. And I've never said... Yeah, come do it the Jessamine way. Don't do it the Jessamine way. I don't care. Like, it doesn't really matter to me. Like, you can go to theunderbelly.com and practice yoga with me. You can get my book, Everybody Yoga. Feel free. But ultimately, all that really matters is that you find a way to yourself. And that doesn't necessarily have to do anything to do with me. It may not even have anything to do with yoga. (laughs) Like, just find a way to yourself. And I think going about it as a way to heal myself as opposed to trying to heal other people is more powerful than anything else. And that authenticity really comes through. And I think you're not creating a box that people need to fit in. You're kind of encouraging people to just like find their own way and find their own place outside of that that feels comfy for them. It might not be what happens to you. Exactly. By the way, can we just like take a moment? That was the best fucking analogy I have ever <laughs> it was heard. Very good. Just started clapping. I'm glad it made sense. Oh my God. That was <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> I'm just glad it made sense. I think in analogies and metaphors. <laughs> that makes sense. And you talked about like your first book, Everybody Yoga, as well. And that's a term that we were seeing in places when we were kind of doing our research. So what does that kind of mean, Everybody Yoga? You know, it was the most simple way to say that everybody, both everybody, the plural term and every body, literally every human body can do yoga because people get so hung up on the body aspect of it. Like it doesn't even have to be that like you're fat or that you're old or that you have varying abilities or what it doesn't even have to be anything like that. Just because you have creaky knees does not mean you shouldn't practice yoga. That means you should practice yoga. Like every reason that you think is a reason to not do it is actually a reason to do it. And I think that what we forget is that of the few things that we know about this universe, that we will get old is one of them. And like our bodies are constantly changing. That's what we can count on, that it's not going to be the same tomorrow that it was today. And yoga is meant to move with you through all of those changes and help you understand that it's good that your body is changing, that the accidents, the childbirth, the aging, all of these things are important. They're necessary parts of who you are. And calling it everybody yoga felt like the most simple and succinct way to express that idea. You've mentioned a few times you refer to yourself as fat. Mm. And I want to know, is that you reclaiming that word and like you said, like reclaiming your body and making it your own? Yeah. The word fat has been used as a way to insult and offend me my entire life. And it's only been in my adulthood that I've really come to terms with the fact that fat doesn't mean stupid. It doesn't mean ugly. It doesn't mean not good enough. Fat just means large. And if you can say like, okay, so I'm large, I'm still here. Still like to exercise, still like to find a smile in other people. You know, you can be fat and smart. You can be fat and beautiful. You can be fat and healthy. Like, you can do all these things. They can all show up together. And I think that 
The reason I call myself fat is just so that I can reclaim it for myself. It's just a practice. And it's a practice that I've had for a long-ish time. And it's been very, very helpful. But I think that sometimes, especially if you've been marginalized, it's a really important part of reclaiming your identity from your oppressor. I think you see it in every marginalized group that the words that are meant to diminish us end up being the words that are powerful rallying cries. This has been such an interesting conversation. I'd like you to know that we usually write down the full interview, but we've probably only covered about a third because it's taken (laughs) all of these like amazing twists and turns and is really like such a fascinating conversation. So then even though I can see from like chatting to you about it, you know, you don't feel like this epic inspiration that's really, you know, Mm -hmm. creating waves and encouraging other people to embrace who they are, but you are. And so kind of looking back on you growing up in your childhood, do you wish that you had someone like you to kind of look up to? I felt like the people that I should thank the most are all the dicks that bullied me in middle school. They have had the biggest impact on who I am as a human being, and it's because of that experience. Like, I do think that everything that has happened to me is crucial, (laughs) so I wouldn't go back. But I do think that part of my mission has to be to not allow anyone else to have the experience that I had. (laughs) Like, if there's someone who looks like me or who feels as though I represent a piece of them and they just don't know that it's okay to be themselves, I have a responsibility to live authentically enough and to a certain extent loudly enough that that person can hear me and feel it and know that it's okay to be themselves. We've also seen you posting about the non-traditional wellness community. So we wanted to ask you about who are some of the other people in this space that you really love. There's so many people, and I'm going to name a few names, but this is not exhaustive at all of the people that I respect. I would say Rachel Dennis. She is a bodybuilder based in Brooklyn. Latoya Snell is also based in Brooklyn. She's a marathon runner. These are all self-identified fat athletes. We do wrap up all of our interviews with some quick fires. Do you have a quote that really inspires you? Throw away yesterday. Today is a brand new day. See ya. See ya. I love it. Yes. (laughs) Very current. People when we ask that are like throwing back to like the early 1900s. (laughs) Oh, there's so many. That's just one that I have. I have the quotes that mean the most to me tattooed on me. So I was like, That's my thing. We saw that. That's why we asked, because I think that that's so cool, like a daily reminder to have on you. Yeah. (laughs) Where is your favorite place to practice yoga? Probably my house and then the beach. I like practicing at the beach, too. What do you do for fun? I like to read for fun and I like to go outside. What do you eat for breakfast? I end up not really eating breakfast that much, and it's a really bad habit. We thought you were going to have a really good answer because so many people say I don't eat breakfast. I'm so bad at it. I drink water and drink tea, and then I usually don't end up eating until, like, midday. It's such a bad habit. Oh, my gosh. If I do eat in the morning, English muffin. Yum. Okay, what do you eat for dinner? 
different things. I just ate lentils and rice for dinner. <laughs> All kinds of things. And what are your favorite yoga brands to wear? Right now, I'm probably enjoying Superfit Hero. But there's a lot of brands, a lot of women-owned brands. I used to be obsessed with a brand called Lineage Wear. I still think they're really great. But let's say Superfit Hero today. Cool. Well, thank you so much. So glad that we were able to connect. When I'm in Melbourne, I'm really going to look y'all up. So be ready. Oh, for sure. And we would love to come to a yoga class. Wait for that time. Amazing. Thanks so much. Later, y'all. Have a good day. Oh, goosebumps from that one. Oh my goodness, I could listen to it for forever. So wishing you a very happy holidays from us. Can't wait to chat to you guys in two weeks time. And in the meantime, happy new year. Love you. Bye. Bye.